0: Tell me, what is so interesting about the brain? The brain drives our thoughts, our behavior. It holds all of the secrets of the universe. The secrets of the universe? There's a whole hidden world inside each one of us which only needs to be deciphered. Aren't some things better left in the dark? I mean, look at them. Why do you think they're all here? The brain is wider than the sky. Put them side by side, the one the other will contain, with ease, and you beside. The brain is deeper than the sea, for hold them blue to blue.
1: From the Gnostic Show, 1899. And let's continue parting like it's 1899. Or I guess 2023, since the same themes as the Netflix show will prevail this year. Like glitches in the simulation, more oppressive Archon coding, the assault on individuality by the Karens and Katamites in the establishment, and more breakthroughs for those of us who seek the path of gnosis. As James True said, this is not a battle of good versus evil. This is a battle of you against the lack of you. Knowing they lie to you is intelligence, knowing you lie to yourself is wisdom. Psychotic kind of drones, where the mystic swims you're, you're sleeping. Gnosis does tell us that the mind holds all the keys, and we know the brain is wider than the sky and deeper than the sea. And that's a direct quote from Emily Dickinson. We know that Hermes will guide us deep into the underworlds of our unconscious, for hidden potential, and high into the heavens of reason for innovation. He is the god of the mind, after all, and he rules over this ending age. Mercury is our best possibility for bringing back Persephone for a new springtime of our existence. This is like, as scene in the Matrix. Now, you could take the
2: fucking red pill, right? Spend the rest of your life jacking off, crying into your chai tea, green latte, what the fuck? Or, you could take
1: the blue pill. Or is it the red pill anyway? Take the other pill, and it a cunt. Which pill do you want me to take? Just quipping a cunt, that's what I'm saying. Hermes is this, and so much more. In this Eternal now, you'll find that he is the direct line between being and manifestation. Furthermore, he is the ultimate destroyer of fate the key to finding out why you were cast in the Black Iron Prison. For this, I have the honor of hosting Charles Stein at the Virtual Alexandria to discuss his new book, The Light of Hermes Trismegistos, New Translations of Seven Essential Hermetic Texts. By Odin's dingleberries, this work is simply mind-blowing, pardon the pun. And the translations and commentary are pure valise pink beams. One of my favorite books of the last year. Reading this along with Marlena Seven Bremner's Hermetic Philosophy and Alchemical Creativity, you'll get closer to not just understanding, but experiencing Hermeticism in all its unchaining power. Get thee behind me, Yaldi Baldi, because we're about to shove that caduceus right up where the black sun don't shine. Randall, is an old Zen koan, goes like this
3: Everyone has two lives, and the second life begins the moment you realize that all along you only had one.
1: Indeed. The virtual Alexandria is the place to finally overcome that wickedness in high places that is close to lobotomizing the collective consciousness of Western man. And where exactly is the virtual Alexandria? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was... Aeon by Gnostic Wadio, an initiation by conversation into the dark corners of myth, magic, and meaning. A crash course in cult culture and conspiracy. A virtuous virus invoking and informing history, holiness, and heresy. Each week, I, your host Miguel Connor, commandeers your connection to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention fun compelling and deeply weird this is the blow your mind cocktail party conversation you always wanted to listen in on and you deserve to be here for you are a shining crazy diamond that should be seen and can ignite the universe with so much wonder
0: my father says that almost the whole world is asleep everybody you know everybody you see everybody you talk to He says that only a few people are awake, and they live in a state of constant, total amazement.
1: You just need to access your mind. As the Gospel of Mary says, Where the mind is, there is treasure. And then, you need to grasp your mind's sacred mission. You need to remember, that's the secret of Hermeticism and all other Gnostic incarnations. As Stephen Davis wrote, Gnosticism is, essentially, a mind-model religion like Buddhism, Advaita Vedanta Hinduism, Kabbalistic Judaism, and Sufism. The Gnostic ideas of cosmology as psychological evolution are similar to those of certain Eastern religions. The Samkhya philosophy, as interpreted by Patanjali, author of the Yoga Sutras, claims that ignorance brings about the creation of what seems to be a world. Idealistic schools of Buddhism, such as Zen and Tibetan Vajrayana, teach that the world is brought into being as external materiality by the ignorance of persons who so perceive it. They claim that the Buddha mind is all and everywhere, and coextensive with the human mind. Kashmir Shaivism is very much like Gnosticism, but with one crucial difference. It maintains that the Godhead, Shiva, deliberately forgot itself and became us in order to enjoy the splendor of discovering God again. Gnosticism regards that process as a tragedy growing out of a mistake
3: you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in
0: fear of what he's created,
1: here on earth? Charles does an incredible job with this theme and so much more in his book. Again, he focuses on being and manifestation. After all, when your thoughts pause, there is something there, and that is a fuller you. I think therefore I am didn't go deep enough. I am, and my thoughts are streams of imaginative energy upon which Hermes dances as he weaves possibility into existence. As Colin Wilson once said, Imagination should be not to escape reality, but to create it.
0: I remember I am energy, not memory, not self. My name, my personality, my choices all came... After me, I was before them and I will be after, and everything else is pictures picked up along the way, fleeting little dreamlets printed on the tissue of my dying brain.
1: And repeating as well, Hermes, and really all Gnostic luminaries, tells us that we can break fate and find our personal destiny. As Charles writes in The Light of Hermes Trismegistos, In regard to astrology, each context of Hellenistic and Roman period soteriology holds that awakening liberates one from astrological conditioning. For the Gnostics, the entirety of creation was engineered by a demon god, whose instrument, in some versions, is the astrological cosmic system. The Stoics seek liberation from destiny by overcoming repugnance to it, amor fati. The Platonists see the emanated universe as a ladder of descent that must be reascended, while Christians reject the entire pertinence of one's cosmic situation to the moral health of one's soul. I don't know if we each have a
2: destiny or if we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze but I, I think maybe it's both maybe both is happening at the same time
1: i also like this quote from the light of hermes trismegistus the a cosmic or anti-cosmic attitude of the gnostics but also Christian, Neoplatonists, or Hermeticists in some of their moods, can be thought of as a protest, not against the world so much as against the configuration of the world under the Olympian hegemony, or the Yahwist one. That is, the cosmos ordered like a family or a state.
0: Did you know hope and
2: despair are nearly identical in code? Here's the thing about feelings, they're so much easier to control than facts. Turns out in my matrix, the
1: worse we treat you, the more we manipulate you, the more energy you produce. It's nuts. Quietly yearning for what you don't have, while dreading losing what you do. For 99.9% of your race, that is the definition of reality. An amazing book and an amazing interview coming up. We're bungling in the jungle in 2023, and that's all right by me. Aeon By will increase the gnosis, I promise you, and the content will enrage Olympus. Salvation a la mode and a cup of tea, for us, we moon age daydreamers.
3: I'm Pickle Rick!
1: My advice to navigate this year remains the same with a few tweaks, here they are. Number one, go inward. Number two. Keep awakening because it's a cosmic rebellion. Number three, choose ecstasy over entertainment. Number four, get over the either or thinking. Number five, forget about your talent or intelligence being a driver for success. Understanding your personal mission in this world is what is and brings success. Number six, It's a fact that you have an incredible purpose. As the saying goes, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Time to find and give it away. Number seven, as always, write your own gospel, live your own myth. No matter
0: what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world.
1: I am truly grateful you've been on this journey with me. So let us do our interview with Charles Stein.
2: You decide what is real and what is not. You, your will.
3: A wise man once said, Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. For the tick, reality is a product of temperature and butyric acid. Its perception of the world is its reality. The bloodhound has 200 million scent receptors. Its perception of the world is based fundamentally on smell. A dog doesn't reason, a tick never thinks about the universe in any way separate from its biological interactions with the universe. Human beings, on the other hand. Human beings are the only animal that forms ideas about their world. We perceive it, not through our bodies, but through our minds. We must agree on what is real. Because of this. We are the only animal on Earth that goes mad.
1: This is the Aeon Bide interview, and with us we have the pleasure of being joined by Charles Stein to discuss a book I really enjoyed, The Light of Hermes Trismegistus, new translations of seven essential hermetic texts. Charles, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, you're
2: very welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: Pleasure is all ours. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog, Vance Sachi. Vance, how are you doing? Are you hermetically sealed today?
3: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Signed, sealed, and delivered. (laughs) Yeah, it should be interesting to see what new light we can shed on Hermes Trimisticus.
1: Oh, I really enjoyed your book, Charles. I, I mean, there are there are guests where I just write quotes. I mean, questions, and yours is just notes after notes after notes, and I'll have to uh, definitely reread it. But uh, this book—tell uh, us how this book came about. As you uh, mention in the book, it took what about fifty years uh, of work to get this out.
2: Well, it, it didn't. It wasn't as if it were a program that I started fifty years ago. And <laughs> you weren't token or something. <laughs> no, it, it, it was that I—I I was. Um, I was a Greek student at Columbia in the early 60s, and um, I was already a published poet. And the poets that interested me a great deal were in the Black Mountain tradition of Charles Olson and going back to Ezra Pound. And basically everybody, all the poets I knew were saying, well, when you go to college, make sure you don't study literature. Study, study something <laughs> that you can't do otherwise. Right and um for many reasons i studied ancient greek and um i was already um i i should say just for total context that i had joined um after basically studying um from poetry particularly william butler yeats i became um interested in esotericism and occultism and When I graduated high school, I decided it was time on kind of existential principles to commit myself to something. So I joined um, an offshoot of the um, Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, I think it still exists somehow, although there were schisms in it, etc. Builders of the Additum which was a a group based on um, uh, a man named Paul Foster Case, who created a kind of mail order instruction in esotericism. And as I was continued with that, at a certain point, this Zosimos text appeared in Ambix, which was this scholarly alchemical um, uh, public um, journal. And I went into the Columbia library, found the Greek text for it and made my own version of it. So that was the first translation was this, the Zosimos thing, which is the last one in the book, the, the uh, Egypto-Greek um, alchemist. Um, and then over the, over the years, I, I had ideas about translating uh, uh, some Homer and um, what actually happened is that I translated the Homeric Hymn to, uh, the Homeric hymn to Hermes, which is the second piece in, in the book. And in the course of that was taking um, elaborate notes about what I was thinking about it. And I came up with the idea that, that I would collect texts around the figure of Hermes and that the first place I would go would be to the Odyssey which I've always understood as as not really being about Odysseus and Athena, who is the, you know, the goddess of Athens, and um, but that it was secretly about about Hermes. That Odysseus, Odysseus's personality is much more hermetic than Athenian. He's not weaving baskets, baskets, and being an Amazon in war. <laughs> yeah. um, but his great grandfather was, in fact, Hermes. That Hermes, Hermes, human son Autolycus, who becomes the the figure that's connected with thieves, and he's the father of of um, Odysseus, father. So Odysseus is a is a hermet, hermetic figure. So I was reading and reading in the Odyssey, looking for the aspects that more specifically deal with with Hermes, and I ended up translating the whole whole of the Odyssey and the Iliad too. Um, but while I was translating the, the, the Hermes stuff and gathering gathering material, um, ideas about all the things I was translating actually start accumulating. And this all happened around 2005, 2006. Um, and then um, when Inner Traditions um, editor Richard Grossinger contacted me and said that if I had a, a book I wanted to write, he would pitch it to the to the, uh, to inner traditions. And I had a book because I had been percolating back since 2005 and 2006 and said, Oh, I said, okay, I'll do it. I wrote a proposal, I accepted the proposal. And then during the three intensest months of the previous version of COVID, um, I spent three months putting the book together, working, you know, around the clock. So that's that's how that happened. I mean, that's the kind of external story. The internal story is that, um, as poet and translator, I was treating my own relationship to it as a kind of practice and devotion um, to the Hermetic figure. So that's what it was about. It was about Hermes, and then, of course, as the, as her, the figure of Hermes becomes. Um, a, a figure in in egypt uh, in the egypt of the alexandrian period namely alexandria alexandria um he, he becomes he or returns to i think more than becomes this figure of hermes trismegistus the uh, however you would pronounce that in english trismegistus,
1: trismegistus. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard
2: yeah so that wasn't that wasn't my original title frankly that was the title that they proposed for it. Um, I wanted to use the title that was the um, the title of the introduction, um, The Text Itself is the Secret. That is to say that there is an initiatory character of being involved in in, um, esoteric texts or texts that are capable of an esoteric reading. Um, So I agreed that that was okay, but I wanted this idea of the text itself as the secret, which was a Phrase from um, um, from um, uh, Henry Corbin, the, the great Islamicist of uh, esoteric uh, Islam, um, meaning that that the, the text is not simply a literary performance that appears within the cultural history of, 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 of literature, but is, is itself a manifestation of the principle that it embodies, that is to say that the principle that is its source. And so there could be a kind of reading in which the exoteric meaning of the text is returned to its esoteric significance but at the same time, as the reader is being initiated into that significance, it's a returning of the returning of the individual to his own being. So the text itself is the secret really means that the text all, goes all the way through to the ultimate nature of one's own, of one's own what one is, or what, it, what being is. So that's one. That's the Hermes um, side of it. The the um, other inner inner part of it is my relationship to Parmenides, and uh, Parmenides is a Greek pre pre Socratic philosopher who brings the issue of creating cosmologies all the way to the question of being, and at a certain point going back to my uh, college days also I was in a class where we were reading greek poetry and we read the hermetic text i mean the, the parmenides text this poem that has is about 160 line long lines long and is in the kind of center of of uh, my book and i had proposed to myself a project around parmenides in which My understanding of Parmenides, which identified his principle of being um, as understood by him in a way that was perfectly amenable or connectable to all of the um, high mystical traditions in which the the being of the individual is um, awakened to the fact that its own being is being itself that would join with um, all of the different mystical religions in which the individual is revealed as being the divine. So I started at a certain point, a project in which I, the, the, the premise of the project was my understanding of Parmenides is right. <laughs> and then on <laughs> that assumption, to read all of philosophy and all of the uh, religious traditions, as well as the non-religious traditions, scientific traditions and so forth, um, as actually having as an inner essence, the uh, Parmenidean vision. And i have been doing that since about 1990, 91, 92, and collected, uh, probably a million words of, of commentary, which is the background for all of this, and that uh, the rest of my life I'm going to be spent trying to create a, mo- a more um, detailed arguments really, for all of the positions that I articulate in this book. So, so that's it. It's like, oh, and then the other thing that I should say that for the last Uh, Since about 1985, I've been a um, practitioner within um, the uh, Tibetan Buddhist Dzogchen tradition. And so my own incapacity to to eliminate my own intellectual activity made it so that I've been thinking through the Dzogchen tradition in Parmenidean terms, because I was have always been looking for where the hinge would be, as it were, between the East and the West. And um, my Parmenides project asserts that the hinge is Parmenides. So that by combining my understanding of Parmenides with my practice of Dzogchen, of, of um, I'm trying to indicate the, the way in which all of the Western traditions and the Eastern traditions can be um, brought into a, a harmony so that's Wonderful. the i mean i think I, I I briefly say that in the in the book somewhere, but the point is the point is not to be art, uh, that i'm not articulating Zogchen as such, and i 'm not even trying to trying to correct previous readings of um, the the texts that i that i translate it's not like i'm trying to do a scholarly correction of of um what i think are wrong in previous translations it's not that at all and and it's not also that i'm doing a historical thing of trying to recreate what's really true about the the uh, tradition of greek texts um is rather that i'm interested in the future and um i think you, i talk about this that that a god, um, in the modern world, is—it's as if the god, in some sense, survives the end of its own pantheon. In other words, nobody believes in Mount Olympus and the and the system of the Greek gods or the pre the Hesiodic uh, pre-Olympian um, Greek world either. It's that the god survives the fact that the cultural context in which the god manifested. Um, uh, is gone, and so it's a matter of the the what I call the f- the future the, the future life of the God, which would also be the future life of these texts, in other words, to render these texts in such a way that contemporary readers um, could connect with them and connect with them in a way that's significant to their own their own uh, um, intellectual or spiritual practice um, so that's that's sort of the tendency of the book. It's, the, it's to create a relationship to these texts not in a, a purely academic or intellectual way, but to to move oneself as a reader forward through having an, an, an inner experience of the, of the meanings of these texts. So that I uh, so the text, again, the text itself is the secret. The text is, is a way. Certainly not the way, but a way in, in, in which that which is manifest in those texts can have further significance for its readers.
1: So yeah, it makes sense, Charles, and thank you. Yes, your book uh, I found inspirational and uh, in a way important. In a little backstory, um, early 2020, I dedicated this show to Hermes. And it was basically, Charles, I was listening to a podcast uh, speaking of Jung with my friend Laura, and she had uh Jungian Dennis Merritt and uh out of almost nowhere he said this is the age of Hermes this is the age this is a transition the doorway the door hinge belongs to Hermes there's a trickster archetype over this western world and over and he he made a good case and I said yes I agree this is the age of Hermes and this is the god we need to embrace to get through this transition we're going through this borderland we're going through but what I like about your book is you do deal with this but you also do a uh, excellent job or show how Hermes seems to be that as you write that chasm between being and appearance Uh, there's being and appearance is ultimately paradoxical and that seems to be Hermes this very paradoxical god of the mind can you talk more about uh, this I mean even I was like when you were talking about Hermes, I was thinking of um, of Heidegger, and yeah, you know, Heidegger is hard to read for me; blows my mind. But I was like, yeah, this Hermes is kind of like uh, Desan in a way. But being and appearances—is that where Hermes says, Charles?
2: Well, oh, that's was, really that's the that's my take on Parmenides.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you read but about that.
2: that. Yes. In, in the Parmenides' idea, or the, the thing that is contained in his text, is that the only thing about which you can ultimately say is, is true is being itself, and that the relationship between being itself as being the only thing is real is essentially connected to, to, to everything else, which is appearance, so, and that the nature of appearance is that everything that appears comes along with its own claim to be, That everything appears, everything that appears, appears to be. So there's a link between that which can't be articulated, that's ineffable, that's that's ultimate, that's that the only thing, the only word that applies to it is being. And at some place, I I say that being is the the word. Being is is the only true word, and it's already one word too many. (laughs) But that it's the only word that's one word too many.
1: So who would Hermes be then? Well, How Hermes, does he... Hermes then becomes
2: the, the, the imaginal figure that we configure um, as connected to being. It's a configuration, because that's the other idea that uh, sort of is working through the book, is the difference between a figure um in, in 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 modern art for instance you have a clear distinction between representational art that art makes a picture of something and the thing that it's a picture of is supposed to be accurately described by the by the by the figure but then modern art when everything is becoming relative and photography is taking over from painting you you have the the emergence of all kinds of abstract art of art that if it's about, about reality, it's not, about a, it's not a figure of something, it's not making a picture of something. So you now have non-configurative um, uh, art, but also non-configurative thought. That the one thing that you hear about forever about the complexities of modern science um, uh, is, is that it's not intuitable. You can't intuit a quark or, a, or a, the, what, what a black hole really is. Right. There, there's no, the, the science tries to create a, a, a completely abstract uh, figure for for what it is. But in fact, it's doing it abstractly, which is non-configurative. Then at a certain point, the figurative comes back in, in art or poetry, or even in the ordinary imagination, which is now in a state of total confusion, Um, it comes back again. So you that even though you accept the idea that 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 being itself is not is not is not a figure, nonetheless, figures emerge spontaneously in our nature. That is to say, our nature is is cognitive. We have we have cognitive capacities, but those cognitive capacities don't actually get you to the ultimate truth, to the condition of one's own possible. Um, awakening realization the what they what they do, however, uh, do is make a connection between appearance and being, and how you can deal with appearance in the sense that I was saying as as um, a configuration of being that in itself cannot make a figure of being, so I use this idea of configuration as the context in which understanding full well that a picture of reality can't be real. Nonetheless, it's the nature of reality to generate figures. So Hermes is that principle. Well, that's how I'm understanding. It. It's the principle that our cognitive nature comes from being itself. That's how, that's how it is that we, we, we have the possibility of having a mind that doesn't do what science does that doesn't do what philosophy does, that doesn't do what our own, um, say, uh, karmically generated uh, life of, of thinking right. actually does. It, it, but nonetheless, in every event of appearance, that is to say of every phenomena, of every experience, where you're really there and you're forming a picture of, of the world, that event itself is your contact with being. It's where you are being, or with Hermes. It's, it's, but only when understood in this sense esoteric way, understood that is, that the configuration, it's as configuration that it's manifesting being. It's not that being really is in some positive, determinate, um, completely explicable way um, connected to being. I know this gets very abstruse, and I tell you, it takes me literally a million words to even approach being able to say what I mean. And of course, that's all nonsense, because a million words is is a lot more than one word. If one word, (laughs) if the only one word is one too many, what the fuck about this?
1: Yeah, no kidding.
2: (laughs) At Parker,
0: our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices.
1: no but there is so much insight and it certainly shows how important Hermes is as a a deity or an archetypal image and all that but also what's important too and well let me back up your book does a great job I love your connection of Hermes to Hecate Hermes to Proteus Uh, there's so much where you just sort of bring out this um, this amazing figure and you show like for example the caduceus when apollo gave um, hermes the caduceus it it uh, broke him away or he became immune to the powers of fate and fortune which is of course what the Hermeticists and the gnostics were just dying for something we're trying well, to well, do exactly. so hard.
2: That, that, that's the point I, I i tried to pick out the sites in which all these things uh sort of cohere so yeah that that um in the um, in in the the um Hermi, Herm, the story of Hermes' birth, which is the story of Hermes the trickster, for sure. But the notion of the, of the trickster is, is that that's our condition. That is to say, we're, we're in a condition of hermetic blowback.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: That, that, and and I, I, my idea is, is simply that, that if you take one aspect of mind, of intelligence, of of consciousness, um, one aspect of it, and then projected over the whole of, of, what, of what Hermes is, Hermes responds with as a trickster. So our age, which is the, the scientific age, well, of course, science is one aspect of, 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 of Hermes. But if you take it as the whole story, um, all the other aspects of it start going chaotic. Um, and so the, the whole world of ecolo- ecological difficulties and, and the, I think, pretty dark um, situation, which is that if you only use the it- intelligence as, as scientific intelligence, that is to say, you only imagine as real that which can be defined by um, self-consistent discourse, and therefore can give you objects or categories of things that can be counted, you have the, the whole of the modern Heideggerian term gestel, you know, that term which means the enframement of the entire being under the idea of um, calculation and um, in, in, intentional um, uh, intentions, that is to say that the only thing is real, is real because it's practical, because it can be if things are understood that way you can make things happen according to your will, which of course is the traditional definition of magic um, but it, 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 the, 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 in other words that the, the, the simple essence of science is is that the only thing that counts as real is that which can be counted right yeah. though all the other aspects of, of, of being become chaotic because you're not, you're not using the, the actual intelligence in, in other ways than the production of progressive uh, um, control over all of being, which is in fact is becoming totally uncontrollable. That's the, the darkest thing about our time, is that the, the only means at our supposed disp- disposal under the present epoch, which is science, Um, Each advance in science creates a condition of relationship between everything else, which becomes less and less controllable. So we're in a situation in which the only thing that can can save us is a a return to or a a reopening of the rest of the capacities of of, uh, human intelligence. And so it's not negative in the sense that intelligence is wrong, or we have to be irrational, or we have to be stupid. Um, It's that there are other functions of intelligence that we haven't, that we've lost, that we've suppressed. Agreed. In the in the in the exclusive uh, focusing on the aspect of intelligence that can can perform um, intentional tasks that can construe things in such a way that their properties can be, can be elicited and therefore projected and therefore the, can, the future can be controlled. But you can only control things under the terms that you introduce um, to understand them. And if those are, are limited by only that which is capable of, of giving us control, everything else becomes, becomes uh, fall
1: i agree that's a very good advice and yeah we've talked about this on the show uh, many times but something to understand i want to touch upon god there's so much so many entry points to your great book but i think what is important and foundational charles is and you do a great job is understanding that egyptian matrix that gave rise to the figure of hermes trismegistos or the fusion of thoth and hermes and uh, to summarize, you write how Egypt is not about life, they weren't obsessed with death, but it is about eternity, the timeless, the, the unified or undivided. As you write very well, You you write... You didn't believe in the gods, you believed in your eyes, which is something we're missing today. Uh, you quote uh uh Jan Osman, who said in from The Mind of Egypt that he says, the pyramid doesn't stand for something, it makes something visible. So it, it's great work you do on several chapters about the Egyptian consciousness. Uh did I miss something, or you want to explain a little bit more?
2: Well, no, it's it's not exactly it, it, it's interesting because I, I'm not I'm not claiming that I know what Egyptians experienced. I'm claiming a little more what Egyptian looked like to the Greeks. that Egypt looked like to the Greeks because Her, Herodotus. I don't think I quote this, but Herodotus says somewhere that that, that the Greeks get their gods from Egypt, mm-hmm. yeah. and he already is identifying Hermes with Thoth. Um, so the notion is that all of the almost at a museum level, um, aspects that we experience of, of Egypt, you go and there used to be in, the, in, the, in New York in the, in the um, Museum of Natural History, a kind of hall of the gods in which they had some of these fantastic um, huge uh, statues of the figures um, arranged as if, as if around a, a temple. And so you would walk through that aspect of the museum and you were actually getting an initiation into the presence of these of these figures. Um, so, but if you think of, okay, so the, the, what is Egypt? Egypt is the pyramids, Egypt is mummies. Egypt is uh, a single form of, of, of writing um, that lasts 3,000 years. You know, what are these all saying? They're saying there is something that has entered into the very moment in so-called history in which civilization is taking form—that is to say, 3000 B.C.—you have, you know, the, the Sumerians, the, the um, soon the Akkadians, the Babylonians, um, the Hebrews, the, uh, um, all of whom are beginning to create universal cosmologies, and so Egypt is the world. <laughs> it's, um, and so, what is what is that in Egypt? It's particularly each of its own major cultural figures is about something that's supposed to keep last going on forever, and going on forever. We have in our the, the abuse of the word eternity as if it meant forever,
1: right? <laughs> yeah,
2: and it's it's actually ambiguous even in Plato. Scholars are in disagreement whether Plato's eternity, its ion, is truly timeless or just means never changes. And so the difference between something that never changes and something that's not in time is a, 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 a very important difference. In other words, you're a reali- the, the fact of, that, that is capable of realization in you is something, it, it's not just going to make you go on forever it's a a mode of of being that is being itself that that is previous to time and you see what I'm saying that that a timeless eternity is not the same thing as as things that are changeless that that are not subject to to continuous change um, but that means something that you you don't that you don't actually understand. you can't make your mind. There's that great line in, in uh, Keats's uh, Grecian uh, the, the Grecian urn uh, poem um, which says that the, that the, the seeming changelessness of the, of the Grecian urn tricks us out of thought as doth eternity. Mm. That being tricked out of thought, is, what's, is what one's trying to do, not in order to shut up the mind and become stupid, like I say, but to actually enter into what it would mean to to discover one's being as not being in time. And um, I don't even remember how much I deal with this, but it's certainly a big part of the way I think that there are, there are different kinds of, of uh, timelessness. A word, for instance, a noun, is timeless in the sense that it, you, you you can use it without without actually referring to something that exists in time if uh, if the platonic idea the idea of the platonic forms are are in a sense not in time and you you know that because you can you know we can be talking about the same thing we can talk about this book that i wrote and uh, i'm not i sit and read my book and it's i'm i'm, I'm just reading somebody that sounds like me you know what i'm saying right but, yeah but, yeah there there and so i'm calling that quasi eternity or quasi timelessness everything about the book is in time and yet it, it it gives an appearance of something that that stands beyond time or that that endures so the very idea of endurance of continuity of that things stay around for a while they don't only disappear you know, if you in Buddhist practice always begins with with um, uh, continuously working with the meditation of, of, of uh, uh, impermanence that that everything is completely impermanence impermanent um, it passes through a now a now and so what is not yet becomes that which is no longer with only this infinitesimal instant of the now that in which it's it, it's actual but i'm saying that the now itself is not in time
3: okay yeah charles uh, what's the difference between being existence and consciousness
2: yeah 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 there time being consciousness all have this peculiar structure that you can only grasp it in its in its instant in its instantiation in other words but you you only know about time because you're aware of things that come into being and pass away.
3: yeah,
2: um, and you're only aware of being itself through the beings. This is the Heideggerian difference between being and beings. Um, in other words that that being itself is not a being. Now, the problem about being uh, the word being, why I say it's it's the, it's one word, but the only word that's that's one. The, the only word about which you can say, it's, it's, it's one too many, <laughs> um, is that we have these other alternatives to the word being, which in fact become the puzzles that we, we deal with when we try to define it. And of course, the biggest one is, 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 is existence. And I work with a fairly simple sense that the word "word" being in use has has two different senses. It has the sense of identity, and it's the sense of existence. And by identity, I mean anything that can be um, named will have the will be supposed supposedly have the qualities that the that that word implies. So the identity is something, I am really Charles Stein, this is really a computer, I'm really sitting in, uh, in, uh, in this room. All of, these, all of these things that in fact are, are, are appearances require a sense in which the objects and the conditions have identities. And so one would say, you know, the, the real being of the sun is, is uh, the transition from uh, hydrogen to helium. You see what I'm saying? You say that's the real yeah. being of it, but that, that sense of being is a sense of identity. Um, I am really a 70-year-old year, eight year old, uh, poet. Those terms apply to me and give me my identity, my being. My being, I'm being as a poet. On the other hand, we mean by being something that's actual, something that's existent. And so you can then get into all these funny questions about, well, does mathematics it, does mathematics exist, or what is the, the existence of ideas, or what is the, ex, it, it, you see what I'm saying? So we're using the word, we use the word being with, with these two senses, and my idea is that the Parmenidean being is a kind of third that, that, it, it, that, that can be, to the degree that it can be manifested, it manifests on the one hand as a giving something an identity, and on the other hand, as um, uh, distinguishing what's actual from what is possible or what is uh, rememberable.
3: Yeah, It seems but, like uh, language is, is the real linchpin here. You
2: know, it, we're limited to what our language um, represents. You
3: know?
2: or, but the, 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 in a sense, language is all, of, is all appearance because all appearance involves both the sense of identity and the, and the, and the question about existence.
1: Hermes you, is the god of language, huh? <laughs> can say,
2: yeah. Absolutely. So, but the point is that you can't take language in the sense of linguistics, you know, the, the general structures that are applied to all the different uh, historical and existing languages. If, if you take the science of linguistics, which tries to find the ultimate structures that are true of all the languages, um, you're leaving out the fact that language only happens for somebody who is, is, is conscious. In other words, they have languages that are in the books, but if there's nobody reading it, the book is just, just a physical thing that actually has only it's reduces finally back to being itself. So one has to think about language. My friend, George Quasha, the, the uh, poet and uh, publisher that I've been associated with for many, 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 many years. It's George's idea that the term language has to refer way beyond the the things that we speak with. Um, In other words, the objects themselves are, are already, as it were, terms. I mean, to the degree that I think this is a chair. Well, actually, if I actually say, what is it? Well, it's got this particular substance. It has a particular structure. There are all these characteristics about it. Um, but, but in fact, the fact that I have the chair is already something that's connected into a system of, of, of relationships that are at least language-like. But language, has to, language can't be understood apart from the being who's the beings who use it namely us but that's not that but that us goes beyond us
1: (laughs) Uh, i'm sorry i'm not being very very... no 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 it may it makes perfect sense Uh, i follow you yeah no no uh, and again it's so important that's why hermes is important uh for for the audience i know people are probably chomping at the big because our our audience loves the corpus hermeticum many of the Texts that you write about, like the, or your translations, like the Chaldean Chronicles, Ozimus, and his alchemical texts. Uh, what would be your take on uh, the Corpus Hermeticum? What is it to you after you translated it, Charles?
2: Well, the translation is is the secret. That is. Oh, yes,
1: we're going back right. to that.
2: <laughs> I mean, I've, I've always, you know, the, the first, the, the Poimandres is the first. The first text in the things that were gathered and brought to Ficino in the Florentine Renaissance and that he translated into into Latin, that first one, the poem Andres, is the initiation of this. At first Hermes is just a person, but in the process of meeting this this mind that talks to him and initiates him, he becomes that mind. so, the Corpus Hermeticum, what? Well, we have uh, at this point, there have been a few more of them that have been discovered, many more actually, that have been discovered in different contexts or different texts. Right. Um, so, those are clearly just the, the uh, scratching the surface of what the Hermetic texts actually were. I mean, there, there are people, who, there, there are texts which say there were 30,000 texts, etc. which obviously is an exaggeration. Um, nonetheless, um, there was a lot of Hermetic writing, and it covers a lot of different, uh, different aspects of it. And so I, it wasn't as that, that I was coming up with some, I mean, you know the history of that, of what happens, right? I mean, I, right. I, I don't oh, know of the, much about what I, t- I talk about, but that they're, they're recovered by, uh, they, they survive in the, in the uh, Near East. And this man, uh, Gmesco Plethon, uh, comes from, from wherever he's coming from uh, to, to Florence and brings these texts to, to uh, Ficino. Ficino translates them. And for, from the time that that's happening in the 15th century uh, up until a scholar named Corsobon um, shows that, well, what was, what was believed was that these texts were earlier than Moses. Therefore, they could have a textual authority that's earlier than the Hebrew Bible, and that the 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 the, the part of the Renaissance that adopted her, 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 her hermeticism um, for a while was a kind of the dominant uh, ontology, a picture of the world for the Renaissance up until three things happened that that pushed it pushed it underground. One is. This Kossoban discovers that the texts were were late Greek. There's no way they were <laughs> earlier than that. And, and two, that the the Protestant Reformation um, is interested in eliminating the mysteries. In other words, it's its relationship to precisely this Hermetic material that had become really part of the European um, doctrine. Um, that, that, that the, the, the Protestants want to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're anti-mystical. And then the counter-reformation, when the church picks up on the, on the reformation and tries to counter it, um, it does the same thing. It wants to get rid of all the stuff that's, that's uh, irrational, mythological, incoherent within its own tradition. So that's three, three strikes. But in this ballgame, there are four strikes because the other is the growth of science which from another totally different angle from the Protestants or the Catholics wants to get rid of everything that's, that's ambiguous and it's obscure that can't be brought into the scientific fold um, because the terms themselves are unwell defined. So all those things counter the, the, the situation which has existed for a hundred years or so as part of the uh, ordinary, ordinary picture. So the whole thing gets pushed un- put, gets pushed underground, and survives in the in the um, natural natural philosophy, uh, magical magical thinking that continues. But as now, as uh, as heresy, as as uh, something that has to be kept kept secret. So you have like I mean, another thing that I didn't actually treat very much is the whole question of secrecy that the, 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 the on the one hand secrecy is of the essence of the of the paradoxicality of being <laughs> yes. that is to say its being itself that's that's keep he, keeping it secret um but then the secrecy itself like like appearance becomes something that has a, a, another resonance um because first of all it's always a part of of the magical practices that you practice secrecy in other words, that you that you don't take the ineffable forth and 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 um, articulate it, but you always have to hold it, hold a secret. So um, it's an its essence of alchemy is its is its own. It is it, it's, its own. It's not exactly ambigu- ambiguous. It's almost the opposite. It's not that that one term has many meanings. It's that many terms have one meaning. But that one meaning itself is not capable of being um, articulated.
1: And Charles, yeah, you mentioned the Renaissance. Some have said, you know, hermetic thought really was one of the catalysts of the Renaissance. Same with... Obviously, Alexandria, Constantinople. whenever an emperor would allow Hermes to be part of the Greek Orthodox Church, which happened, uh, Haran in the Muslim caliphates back, yeah. I mean, it's over and over, it's where Hermes goes, he seems to transform. Some have said that the founding fathers were more influenced by Hermes than there were Moses or Jesus.
2: <laughs> well, that's, you know, there's that, uh, there are letters between Adams and Jefferson, in which Adams is referring to nineteenth-century um, um, esotericism. It's known that Adams had this interest, but whether whether it's uh, whether that's a serious influence. Well, it, it's 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 always tantalizing <laughs> that what's that the guy the. Uh, the novelist who, who wrote the famous book that was a big seller for a billion years, Brown. Dan,
1: Dan Brown?
2: Dan Brown. And he also wrote a book about, about Washi- the architecture of Washington, mm. of, of Washington, D.C. And he shows how built into all of those white buildings are all kinds of uh, Masonic and, and esoteric uh, stuff. And it's known that, the, that the, all of the founding fathers, I think, I can't think of one who wasn't, was, were Masons. And that the, the, if you study the history of masonry, do you have you had have, have you had shows on masonry? Oh yeah, several yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah right. Well, so you know what that's that's what that's all about. So yeah, you can you can say uh, that the, the esotericism Renaissance esotericism is more important than than the, the Christianity, and I think that's pretty true. Um, in in a, it, but it's not just it's not like that. right right. well for instance because the the dollar bill which is this esoteric text i think was that actually only was created in this century i mean last century Uh ha! you see where i'm stuck
1: Uh, (laughs) but i think the point charles is that uh letting hermes in is a conscious changer for a culture or a city and uh, we could certainly use more hermes today what you think is we are stuck we are so stuck as a the collective conscious of the West,
2: but it's interesting that that stuckness is itself incredibly volatile, and that what it's done is it's created a condition of perpetual disruption that you know you get used to using your your uh, well this bloody computer and then then you forget something and then you've got to study the whole of computer science in order to figure out how to <laughs> get back online. Um, but the, the technology is an, an, a process of I- incredible acceleration. I um, And I just read something about if you compare the speed with which the human nervous system can process a signal, the maximum would be a, a 50th of a second it takes for a, 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 an impulse to pass along a neuron. But... How long does it take to actually communicate on over the uh, the, the global internet uh, a, a, a bit of information? It's something like three hundred thousand times quicker.
1: Wow! I didn't know that.
2: So you know when you're trying to imagine an externalized human being as a as a elaborate enough computer, and you could worry about the the, the singularity, the so-called singularity of when suddenly the the machines become conscious. You're you're looking at a, a contrast that is so vast, um, it you, you, you can't really do anything with it. I mean, that's that's basically the problem of the of the stock market that, that crash, the first big crash in recent times in 1987, that was about the fact that you that the computers were were buying and selling so fast that it it, it created chaos. In other words, how long does it take to actually process a, a purchase of, a, of a, a block of stock? Right. It's like, it's so small, you can't, there's no experience of it. Right? I mean, the whole stock market works on people's racing to, to, to um, buy or sell a piece of stock before their own act of doing it, chance changes the value of the, of the, the price of the stock. But my, my, the, the, the connection here is not just what's wrong and how can we fix it, because that attitude itself is already technology. So the, the, the escape has got to be the hermetic, the, the, the full hermit, hermit, Hermes um, is not going to be reduced to its technology. Uh, I'm, I'm getting less coherent because got, you've got all my ideas going at once. In my head, and I, I, what I've been thinking about this morning was, was basically how, if, if, as soon as you're, that it's the, it's the error of mind, that's that's capable of gathering together all of these different things in one thought and creating infinite anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, sort of, one of the uh, nice Buddhist relationship to this is, take them one at a time. And what you need not to do is to allow the capacity of the mind to generalize and universalize and bring everything under under one thought. You have to not do that because that's what produces one's own psychological chaos. You know, I'm thinking about 16 different projects, and my God, I'm not. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm doing product project number one, but what about project number seven and eight? Yeah, yeah,
1: that's due too.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that but that's due too exactly. But but you have so this has got to do with this. I think probably the most significant idea I have is the idea that, that now is not really in time. Oh. And it's not a transcendence we weird now. It's the, the literal now has no properties except being now. You, you yeah,
1: that's it. fascinating. Yes. I love it. Is you're, this... you're, you're
2: doing a practice in which you want to say, you know, like the, the stupid birds in that uh book by uh, Algis Huxley, The Island, where they have the birds in the tree saying, be here now, be here now, <laughs> be here now. Yes, I remember. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's that if you try to, if you actually actually do that, what you see is that the that, uh, the now doesn't have any properties except the one that you're in right now. And that that there, there's a connection between the now as not being in time and, and being is not being in time. And so I say the non, that the, the atemporality that's not quasi, the real atemporality is that characteristic of the now, which has the same structure as, as the relationship of being to appearance. The now is not the stuff that's happening now.
1: Well, this has been a a great conversation for the audience. I highly recommend you get the light of Hermes Trismegistus uh, by my friends at Inner Tradition. Uh, Charles has some wonderful translations, including the Theogony. Uh, Zosimos on the divine vir- virtue. Oh, yeah, the vision of Isis from the metamorphoses of Apuleius. His section on the death goddess uh, it gave me chills. Uh, he does the Chaldean Chronicles, of course, the Poimandris, uh, the beginning of the Corpus Hermeticum, the Homeric hymn the theogony so he's got some amazing uh, translation it has commentary and it all is connected by hermes and the idea of being and appearances and once you read the book you will be transformed so uh, charles do, do you have a website or anything like that or simply people just go buy your book in the usual channels
2: um at the moment that's as, as far as i have i do have a website that i think is it was out of commission for a while, but I think it's back in condition, and it's just Charles Stein poet one, uh, dot com.
1: Wonderful. Well, if I you will know, we'll have it on the show notes, if it's still up, if not, of course, I'll have a link. but uh, yeah, I highly recommend it's a great book, and this has been quite a, a Homeric Odyssey, and uh, really enjoyed it. Well, Vance, thank you first for uh, keeping us company.
3: No problem. Uh, The content of the show was definitely not fake news.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The news, yeah, we didn't even get to the the news. And, yeah, Charles does deal with the news. (laughs) N-O-U-S, people, (laughs) N-O-U-S. Well, Charles, uh, really enjoyed uh, the conversation. Uh, Thank you for your time. And uh, thank you very much for the light of Hermes Trismegistos. And, yes, thanks for coming on A Young Byte.
2: Okay, well thank you for having me.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much, Charles, and uh, yeah, you please uh, have a have a good weekend. And there you have it. Hermès rising and even more so in our second part. Yes, in our second part, Charles will connect Hermeticism to taoism Charles will connect to Hermeticism to Jungian ideas. He'll share his process on translating these ancient Hermes texts. Then he'll pivot to Hermeticism and its relation to physics, time and space, and consciousness in general. Oh, and the simulation theory. And you know we had to deal with the concept of myth and creativity, and much more. So please become a member for the Full Philosopher's Stone. It's only $6.99 for AB Prime a month, or $4.99 at Red Circle, or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You'll gain access to my private Facebook group and Discord channel for all AB Prime members and high-level Patreons. If you find value in this content, please support this Red Bill Cafeteria. Your help can be in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal, Stripe, or the US Mail. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to leave a tip via Stripe now, or you can tip on any YouTube show. If you want to help via Bitcoin or other crypto, reach out to me for addresses. Consider joining the Finding Hermes program, where we have bi-monthly meetings on Gnostic practices and rituals, as well as some cool Q and A's. The Virtual Alexandria Academy. The premier and only Gnostic online course is open as well for thee. If you need help with all of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always.